This morning is the conference, and this is the first conference we are having that Pastor Dave Robeson is not alive, that he's not physically on earth. This is the very first conference. And so I thought about that after you know, bro, bro, uh, Brother Bront mentioned last night how so many of us, we are here as a result of what Pastor Dave taught. We are here because of what you know we set under his feet. And so I thought about that, and I want to honor him this morning. And so I'm going to honor Pastor Dave this morning. I think I left my glasses over here. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now so I don't have to say it later. Remember how Pastor Day would read from his yellow pad? And then he'd get to a point, he starts struggling, he says, I can't even read what this guy wrote. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and get it out now. <laughs> well, this morning I want to do three things. One, I want to follow what Pastor Bronk and, and Past, Pastor Jim has done for the last couple of me couple of uh, messages and I want to show you your potential. And the second thing I want to do this morning is I want to show you some things that you have to get settled in your heart and in your mind if you are going to reach your potential. And then the third thing I'm going to do is show you how very special you are. Okay? I'm going to share a dream with you that will show you your potential like it has shown me mine. And it's a dream that I've shared before here, but it's been a number of years since I've done, since I have shared it. And it's a dream that the Lord gave me in 2014. And I gave the title of the dream, Dead Babies. I drove up to an intersection. And by the way, when you have dreams, and if you're not documenting your dreams, you're missing an opportunity to hear from the Lord. Okay? I drove up to an intersection, and across from me was a couple. They would have gone through the intersection if I hadn't gotten out of my car. For some reason, maybe it was the look on their faces, I got out of my car and walked over to them. In the back seat, there were three small babies, beautiful little things, and they were in a wash tub, and they were dead. My heart went out to the parents. The babies were so precious. As I looked at them, I simply extended my hand and said, you will live. Before I could walk away, they began to move. One by one, they opened their eyes. They yawned as if they had been asleep, and then they smiled. That morning, I thought about the dream. It had been so vivid and so real, and I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit said to me. 
It's that easy. That is all he said. It's that easy. When we read the Gospels, we see Jesus simply speaking, and blind eyes see, lamed are made whole, the crippled walk, and the dead live. He simply spoke out of who he was, God's son. Ladies and gentlemen, are we not the daughters and sons of the same God? If you have any doubts about that, see me afterwards. Okay? We'll get you born again. (laughs) Because we are. We are. Are we not seated in heaven with Jesus at the Father's right hand? Didn't Jesus say the works that he did we would do also? Thinking about what the Holy Spirit said, I see how in my dream I simply responded out of who I truly am. A person who has God's life and nature, just like Jesus. I didn't hesitate to speak. You will live. My heart simply responded to the hurt I saw in the eyes of the parents. I didn't care if someone was watching me. I extended the love of my father. And I think that's the whole point of the dream. Extending the love of your father. That's the first part. That is, I, I have just given you an idea of your potential. I have just given you an idea of what the father sees that we are not completely seeing about ourselves right now. The father already sees us doing this, ladies and gentlemen. We have to get in line with our father. We have to get on the same page with our father. He's not holding back. He's waiting for us to do the things that we need to do that will enable him to work through us to make the dead babies live. Okay? Now, the second thing I said I wanted to do this morning was to share some things with you that you need to get settled in your heart. And I'm going to start, and would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, because this is just the launching point. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, Jesus and his disciples, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Do you know how unusual that was? For a woman to have a house. So Jesus went into her house and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore to help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
That word cumbered about, it means to be drawn in different ways at the same time. Hence, a distraction with cares and responsibilities. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that Martha was cumbered about with much serving. I mean, cumbered about serving. Come, let's read this, Barry. I can't read what's written here. <laughs> okay. It says Martha was cumbered, cumbered about much serving. It doesn't say she was cumbered about with much serving. It doesn't say she was cumbered about because of much serving. What was driving Martha? Jesus tells us, ladies and gentlemen, what was driving Martha. Jesus says in verse 40, let's read 41 and 42 again. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. One thing is needful. Mary hath chosen the one thing. Do you see where I'm going, ladies and gentlemen? Mary chose to be at Jesus' feet. Martha did not choose to be there. Okay? And because she chose what she did, it lets me know that Mary chose to use a phrase that we often use. She chose to sit at the table of the Lord and eat. Martha wanted Jesus to come to her table. Are you following me? Mary chose Jesus. Follow me. Martha chose to serve Jesus. Are you following me, ladies and gentlemen? There is a difference. We can serve Jesus because out of who we are and what we think he wants, Mary chose to find out what he wanted. That is the place of the church today. We are serving Jesus, but we have not taken the time to find out what Jesus wants. Mary chose Jesus. Mary chose to sit at his feet. Mary chose to listen to what he was saying. And Martha, out of her emotions, she chose to serve Jesus in the way that she thought he wanted to be served. Okay? Jesus says Martha chose the one needful thing. And it's something we've heard both Pastor Jim say and, and Pastor Brock say yesterday. Intimacy with him. That is what Mary chose. My question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that what you are choosing? Is that what you are choosing? Okay. Turn with me to Jude 1. <laughs> and the word that we that I wanted to really draw your attention to was a word needful. Okay, needful. So Jesus said that Mary chose the needful thing. The one, and notice he said the one needful thing. Okay? Now here in Jude, beginning with verse 1, it says, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, 
and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. So Jude says that when he was going to write about the common salvation, which we all have as being sons and daughters of God, he says, but I found that it's more needful for me to write to you about contending for the faith. Contending, what faith are we contending for? It's what the apostles passed down to us. We're contending for the faith, ladies and gentlemen. And I think about how today the church has created an altered gospel. The church has created an altered gospel. Give me an example. I know of a single mom struggling to make ends meet. And see, she went to her pastor, and she told her pastor what was going on and asked the pastor if the church could help her for short short term until she can get her finances in order. The pastor said no. It wasn't because the church didn't have the money. It wasn't because the church couldn't do it. It was because he said you are not tithing. So we can't help you. But for you need to get your act in order with God and tithe, and God will take care of that. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an altered gospel. That is an altered gospel. Let me give you another one. A couple of weeks ago, it's been a couple of weeks now, uh, I had a friend of mine who had a family member who, young man, young man, killed his mom and his sister. And then he fled Tennessee fled Columbia, Tennessee, and was caught in that and caught in Memphis. And so the question that was raised is, God is in control. Why didn't he stop that? He's in control. Why didn't he stop that? God knew it was going to happen. Why didn't he stop that? I raised that, ladies and gentlemen, because as we bring people in, to the church as a result of the revival, they're going to have those type of questions. Are you prepared to answer that question? Can you go to scripture and answer that question? It just breaks my heart that there are so many pastors who stand in the pulpit and say things like that. Say things like God is in control. He had his reasons. He allowed it to happen. If God allows that to happen, I am a far better person than God. Are you following me? Because if he can stop something and he did not, I wouldn't serve that God. I wouldn't. So there has to be something going on that is not being taught in the church. Okay? 
Turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Based on what I have just said, I'm going to show you what our assignment is in that regard. Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel says, this is the chapter where God is talking about Israel. He's talking about the, le- the spiritual leadership in Israel, how the priests, they're not doing their job. They're allowing the people to live any way they want to live, and he's not happy about it. And God says, you know, I'm ready to drop the hammer. I am ready to drop the hammer. And then God says in verse 30, 31, well, I need to get to the right chapter. He says in verse 31, I'm sorry, verse 30. So God is ready to drop the hammer. And he says, and I sought for a man among them, among all of those living in Israel who were doing what was being, what was going on in Israel. I sought a man among them that should make up the head and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Ladies and gentlemen, in our country today, You are the man. You are the woman who is standing in the gap for this country. And if you can't handle that, that's okay. God still loves you, but he needs you to stand in the gap for this country. Because if we don't do it, it's not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Now, what is the one needful thing for us today? You've already heard it twice in the conference. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. You've already heard it twice. You're going to hear it a third time. I have learned that when God repeats himself, he's trying to get a point over to us when he repeats himself. In Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. That word changed is the word metamorpho, and it means transformed. It's the same word that we read in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, where it says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same word. Okay? Now, why did I mention that? If we're going to change from glory to glory to glory, this is going to have to change. Are you? This is your filter, ladies and gentlemen. This is what is keeping you from raising dead babies. Okay, this is what's stopping you. And see, when we get to the point where what's on the inside of us governs what's on the outside of us, we're going to see signs. Miracles and wonders. We're going to see it. But until we make that decision that we're going to put in the effort that it is worth doing, it's not going to happen. I want to share something else with you. Again, I write stuff down. Okay. 
And this is something that I, again, it's, it's not new to me, but it's going maybe new to some of you, that I wrote down probably three years ago, maybe, maybe four. And it has to do with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, the word cannot override what you really believe in your heart. You. Boom! The word cannot override what you believe in your heart, which means then your heart needs to align itself with the word. Okay? My word can only respond to faith. And if faith is not operating in you, my word will not operate in you. That's why it's so important that you live a holy lifestyle. That's why it's so important that you seek to conform to the image of my son. The more you look like my son, the more faith will operate in you and the more my word will come to pass in your life. I want God's word to come to pass in my life. But the enemy of the soul will do everything he can to stop you from conforming to the image of my son. He will cause situations and circumstances to arise to try and cause you to believe that the effort to conform to the image of my son is not worth it. But isn't it worth it? But but isn't it worth conforming to the image of my son to give sight to the blind? Isn't it worth conforming to the image of my son to give strength to the lame so they can walk again? Isn't it worth conforming to the image of my son to be a beacon of light to a dead soul to give that soul life? Yes, it's worth it. My son died on the cross to make every effort you make to be like him worth it. My son, hear me. There is no sacrifice and he is talking to you, ladies and gentlemen, too, even though it was during my prayer time. He says, my son, hear me. There is no sacrifice you will ever make for me that I will not remember. There is never a sacrifice that you will make for me that I will not reward in this life and in the life to come. I find joy in those who sacrifice for me and my kingdom. I find joy in those who are willing to give their all for me because they are vessels I can use to pour out my love to the nations. So hear me, son. I will always show myself strong to you when you sacrifice yourself for me. He uses a word that we don't hear used in the church very much today. And it's the word sacrifice. We don't hear that word used at all, hardly in the church, outside of Tulsa and Immokalee, Dayton. And I'm sure there are others. But the Christian life, based on what we hear today, is not about sacrifice. It's about what God can do for you. Okay, it's about what God can do for you. And that is so opposed to how Jesus lived. Because Jesus' whole life was, what can I do for God? Now, what are some things we are to transform our minds to 
and get settled in our hearts. This is not by any means an exhaustive list. Okay, this is something that I just think that we really need to focus on. Most of the time when a person asks me how I'm doing, my response is I am blessed by the best praying for the rest. Okay, that is on purpose. That is on purpose because turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. We're going to begin. We're going to read the first three verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Hello, faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. If we just stop right there, that's enough. Who has blessed us? Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You are still blessed. It doesn't matter what people say about you. You are still blessed. This is your standard for determining whether or not you are blessed. It's not how much money you have in your bank account. It's not how many cars you own. It's not how big your home is. You are blessed because you are God's son. You are God's daughter. And if you look to be blessed, if you look for your blessing in any other way than that, you are the fish with the hook in the mouth that Satan is pulling. Are you following me? Because if he can pull you away with stuff, then you are not going to walk in the blessing that God has called you to have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Turn with me to Numbers. And I want you to see this one because it's very important, ladies and gentlemen. Very important. Well, Brother Barry, aren't they all? Yes. But for this message, it's very important. Okay? Numbers chapter 23. We're going to read verse 8. Then we're going to read verse 20. Then we're going to come back to verse 19. Okay? Verse 8 in Numbers 23 says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord has not defied? This is Balaam. Balaam has been asked by Balak to curse the children of Israel. And so he is saying, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? Okay? Verse 20. It says, behold, this is Balaam talking. I have received commandment to bless and hath blessed. I cannot reverse it. Are you following me? Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and shall he not do it? 
or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? God says you are blessed. I wanted to read numbers because there are some folks in the body of Christ who think that they can be cursed by the enemy of the soul, by a witch, whatever you want to call it. They think they can be cursed. The Bible says that what God has blessed cannot be undone. You have to have that settled in your heart, ladies and gentlemen. The same thing about there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. I want you to know what the, what the word says. No weapon formed against you. Let's take Harry and Sarah. The weapon that the enemy of the soul would use against Harry is formed for Harry. The weapon the enemy of the soul would use to attack Sarah is formed for Sarah. That same weapon would not work on Harry. So you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says it doesn't really matter what the weapon is. It will not stand against you. When you understand, you are blessed. Sell that in your heart. You are blessed. Something else that we say from time to time, and I wonder do we really understand what we are saying. It says, we, we, we will say God is good all the time. We say that. Do we understand what that really means? God is good all the time. I take it a step further. God is good all the time to me. I can't speak for anybody else. God is good all the time to me. That's what the Bible says. First John chapter one. Are you saved? <laughs> first John chapter, first John chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. These things, Write we unto you that your joy may be full. Verse 5. Verse 5. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is good all the time to me. That word no it's the Greek word O-U, and it means absolutely not. Absolutely not. You won't be able to find it. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And when you look at James chapter 1, you see something very similar. Only say it in a different way. James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above. 
and cometh down from the Father of who? Lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That word no is also the word O-U, which means there's absolutely no variable in God. God is, is the same all the time. And see, so once you get to understand God, once you get to know him, you will know that it doesn't, in any situation, he's going to respond the same way. That is what makes a good marriage also. You, you, you know your, your spouse, and you know how your spouse is going to respond in different situations. You may not know exactly how your spouse is going to respond, but you know that your spouse is going to respond in a certain way. There is a connection between how the bride of Christ responds and understands how her husband is going to respond in certain situations. We are the bride, all of us. We should, we should know our husband. And if you don't know your husband, then you are not sitting at the table and eating from his table. Okay? Romans chapter 2 is a verse that Pastor hit on, hit yesterday, one we're all familiar with. So I'm just going to hit it real quickly. It says, and we looked at verse 13, 14, and 15. For not the hearers of the, of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be just before God. I have a question. What enables us to be doers of the law? God's life and nature on the inside of us. That, that enables us to be doers of the law. But when the, when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts to mean while accusing or else excusing one another. The thing that we have to get settled in our hearts, in our minds, is that when our conscience says no, no means no. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's talking about that we are no longer alive to this world. We're not dead. And our lives are hid in Jesus Christ, which we see in, in Colossians chapter 3. But I want to read verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want you to understand. That when you see phrases like, know ye not, know ye, or knowing this, what it's really saying is you should know this. You should know this. Okay? So when you read a verse like, it says, knowing this, you should know that our old man is crucified with him and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Jump down to verse 12. 
Let not sin, therefore, because you are dead to it, reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Stop right there. You see that word yield? You, as an example, you are a recovering alcoholic. That's an example. Okay. And as a recovering alcoholic, the worst thing that you can do is go to a bar where they serve drinks. That's the worst thing you can do, right? This word yield, it means that you present yourself available. It's like the alcoholic, the, 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 the reformed alcoholic presenting himself or herself to the temptation of drinking again by going to a bar. Jesus, the Bible says, it says, neither yield your members as instruments, instrument, instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't even make yourself available to unrighteousness. Don't even make yourself available. But instead, make yourselves available unto God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, in, of, un, of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you when you present yourselves to God and not to anything else. First Corinthians chapter one. Getting close. First Corinthians chapter one. We're talking about things that you have to have settled in your hearts that are non-negotiables. Verse 10 says, now I beseech you, brethren, and by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. But brother Barry, um, do we really have to? Well, let me put it to you this way. If you're not going to speak the same thing, then you could be a Baptist. You could be a Methodist. You could be an Episcopalian. You could be a Pentecostal. You could be a Catholic. And there are others. If you're not going to speak the same thing, then you are not going to get the benefits of speaking the same thing. And so he's talking to you, talking to us as a group as a body, speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How can we do that? It's because of the nature that's on the inside of us. It gives us the ability to tap into the same teacher, the same teacher. When you tap into the same teacher, guess what? Eventually, you're going to start believing the same thing. He's not going to teach Brother Brought one thing and Pastor Jim something else. Otherwise, they would not be the friends that they are. <laughs> okay? Second Corinthians chapter 3. This is one that's very important that we have to get settled in our hearts as well. I'm sorry, chapter 10. It's, a, again, a verse you're very familiar with. 
It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If there was a if there was a two set combo that is not being practiced in this world today by Christians, you just we just read them. The verses say that we do not war against flesh, right? It says that, and I'm going to read again, make sure I get it right. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Why do we not war after the flesh? Because the weapons of our warfare are not designed to fight the flesh. In this example, okay? Now, why am I, why am I making a point of this? There are so many in the body of Christ today who refuse to pray for the president, who refuse to pray for the leaders of the current administration because they don't agree with them. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1, 4, 3, 4, and 5, pray for your leaders. God doesn't say you have to like them. God doesn't say you have to agree with them. God says pray for your leaders. If we are not praying for our leaders, ladies and gentlemen, God is going to hold us accountable. He's holding us accountable. And the same thing happened with the previous administration. You had Christians who refused to pray. If we don't pray, how can we look in the Gospels when Jesus says, This is how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is is in heaven. We are the ones who have the ability. We are the ones who have the authority. We are the ones who have the say-so in helping God's will be manifested in this world. If we are not praying, it's not happening. I don't care how many of you believe that God's in control, that God's going to have his way, everything's going to be done the way he wants it. Uh Uh-uh. Not going to happen. If God was in control, we would not have a sin nature. Well, we would not have to have been redeemed from a sin nature because Adam would never have sinned. God would have slapped the apple out of his mouth. Even before he took the first bite. And he will, he will, boy, what's wrong with you? Didn't you hear what I told you about if you eat of this tree and this is what's going to happen to you? Oh my God. And then, you know, and then Eve was, Eve was there saying, yeah, I helped. I helped. God is not going to override you. Okay? Now, let's wind this up. The current administration, it's not your problem. The liberal agenda, it's not your problem. The L, I, I want to make sure I wrote this down. The LGBTQAI plus is not your problem. I'm going to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen. Remember how I said earlier about Satan is trying to take this country down the same road as Sodom and Gomorrah? That plus pedophilia, that plus bestiality, whatever perversion you can think 
That's the plus. That's the plus. And the sad thing is there are not enough of us in the church who are willing to take a stand and say that is not right. That is not what the Bible says. I am so glad that I am amongst family who are willing to say what the Bible says. There are far too many in the church who would prefer to fight for a cause, a man-made cause, rather than realize that they, and I want to make sure I say this the way the Lord gave it to me, too many in the church are distracted because they feel the need to fight for a, to find a cause to support. Why search for a man-made cause when you have a mission from heaven? When you have a mission from heaven. I've already honored Pastor Dave. So now I'm going to honor Gary. This is my first close. Now, there's something we need to understand that's very important. And this is where we're closing. Look in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, and 28. Love these verses. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. You see where it says, it says, let them have dominion. We're going to find out later on that the them are male and female, the male and the female. So it goes right along with what Pastor Jim talked about yesterday in terms of women and their roles in the body. In the beginning, God gave both dominion. And he never took it back. The only reason that there is a there is conflict or question is because the church has made it so. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female. Do you see this? Okay. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, I said that I was going to end the message by talking about how special you really are. We just read it. Well, you know, Brother Bear, I understand what you just read. I get it. But why does that make us special? Why does that make me special? When you read Genesis chapter 1, it says, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, and God said, let the firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters upon the heaven and earth be gathered together into one place. 
Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, fruit yielding fruit, I mean fruit tree yielding fruit, after his kind and seed after his kind. Everything, and then it also talks about how everything that God made, it came from the water. Okay? God, and the Bible says, and God said. Verse 26 says, and God made. And God said, and God said, let us make. Okay? He didn't just speak it and it happened. Your father got his hands dirty for you. Your father got personally involved with you. It wasn't he just spoken into being. He says, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I'm going to get involved. I'm going to make. So we, we, we are different than God didn't speak us into being. He made us into being. Okay, and that was the whole point of what Jesus did on the cross. He wanted to take us from a Genesis three existence back to a Genesis one and two existence. Now, let's put a cherry on this. Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two. It says, well, let's read, see here, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are his Rembrandt. We are his Mona Lisa. We are his whatever wonders of the world that they are. That is us, ladies and gentlemen. So for anyone, and, and you know, Pastor talked a little bit yesterday because the Lord laid on his heart that there are some folks who may feel like that they are not ready to handle this job, to be part of the revival, to develop it, to have the type of intimate relationship that God requires. Ladies and gentlemen, we were built for a revival. We were built for a revival. You are here because this is our time. This is our time. The one needful thing, we have to make a conscious decision to die daily by yielding presenting ourselves for times of intimacy with Jesus. Just like Mary, we have to make a purposeful decision to choose him. 